0: All right, well, we're going to continue this morning uh, with the life of Christ, and we are in, we're going to continue, we're going to stay in John. Uh, Probably have skipped over some significant things to stay in John. It's really hard at this point when you start putting together just a synchronous life of Christ. It's a lot of uh, disagreement and a lot of speculation as to what happens when, especially as you get down to the end of the Galilean ministry, the late Judean ministry what we call the Perean ministry, those are all locations, and then eventually heading into Jerusalem. And what we saw last week is we were in Jerusalem. Jesus was in Jerusalem. We weren't. Jesus was. We were there, kind of. Um, and we were, we were in Jerusalem with Jesus at the Feast of the Tabernacles, uh, which was about October or so of the year before his crucifixion. That, well, the year of, really, but the, the 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 fall before his crucifixion, the autumn before his crucifixion, and then we're uh, we're going to stay there. But we're a couple of months later. We're in we're in uh, Jerusalem still, but uh, it's in it's in December. It's not Christmas yet, right? It's just, but it is Hanukkah, okay. And we're going to look and see what he does at this feast called the Feast of Dedication. That's where we get the term Hanukkah or Hanukkah is from dedication. Uh, Additionally, it's, it's still on the heels of what he had done at the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember, we looked at that entire chapter last week, chapter 9 of healing the man born blind, and seeing the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. Uh, that's kind of where we left off, and the, the, the building conflict. And on the heels of that, he gives this, under, he gives this uh uh, in chapter 10, the first part, you're thinking, why are we looking at that? Well, we kind of are by looking at the second half of chapter 10, and it's his his uh, parable of the good shepherd, and his explanation of the fact that he is the good shepherd, and that he is also the door to the shep- to, to the sheep pen, and you don't come to the Father, but through him, and that he protects his sheep, and his sheep hear his voice, and they know him, and they follow him, and the implication is that These religious leaders, one of the implications is that these religious leaders are not being good shepherds. They are not the shepherds. They, in fact, are the hirelings, those who seek to rob and steal, uh, that they have. In other words, the comparison here is that, you know, they would get this, that he's indicting them as well. Well, it's on that now. After that, it's now at the the feast of dedication that he is going to drive that home even more. Um, the Feast of Dedication, or what we, or what we know today as Hanukkah, uh, was instituted uh, 135 around there, B.C., by Judas Maccabeus. Now, what had happened is that uh, you know, after Alexander the Great, uh, a lot of that land was divided. His generals divided that land, and you had various... Various uh, families or dynasties of rulers in various places. The Ptolemies of Cleopatra was a Ptolemy. That was one of those descendants of that split. The Seleucids, that's what their names are, from a guy named Seleucus. uh, They took over the Syria area and the area that Jerusalem was part of at the time. One of the rulers was named Antiochus IV Epiphanes. That means like God Manifest, like you hear epiphany there, so God made known. He he declared himself Zeus incarnate, if you would, Um, and he is the one responsible for what when we read uh, and we hear about the 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 um, what is it the the desolation, Uh, you know that that where he actually offered a pig as a sacrifice to Zeus on the altar in the temple. Okay? Uh, he, he, he wanted to get rid of the Jewish religion. He was all about Hellenization, not because he thought Greek culture was going to save the world. It was just to consolidate his power, uh, to get rid of the Jewish, you know, this, these, these stubborn Jews that wouldn't go along with all of this. Well, it was with that abomination of desolation that you, the revolt started. And that revolt was led by the Maccabean family, the most famous of whom is Judas Maccabeus, Judas the Hammer, the Maccabean revolt. And three years, it took a while, but they eventually kicked, kicked them out and they got Jerusalem back. And they were independent, let's put that in quotation marks, for a little while. In fact, it was the last time when, when, we're, when we're looking at this text that they, the Jews would remember, wow, that was the last time we had our independence. When seemingly against all odds, God delivered us from the darkness of these pagans and allowed us to have true worship. You know, you hear in some overtones there. Well, it was three years to the date after that that abomination that Judas Maccabeus set up this feast, this festival, this eight-day festival that comes around our December time to commemorate. The rededication of the temple. And that's what feast is going on. It wasn't one of the pilgrim feasts. You know, it wasn't atonement or Passover or tabernacles, but it was one that a lot of people came to Jerusalem. And it's still celebrated today. You know of Hanukkah and the, the, the candles. It was also called the Feast of Lights. And so it was a, it was a time of celebration of remembrance, of, yeah, God delivered us. And God, through Judas Maccabeus, actually got rid of these pagans in the temple and this pagan worship. Uh, It was also a reminder, though, at this time, while they're celebrating, they're looking around at Roman soldiers. In other words, they're not independent anymore. So it's also sort of an odd reminder for them that they're still not free again. One of the things that this would also remind them of, is because they're not free, this deliverer, someone's going to have to deliver them. So there was high messianic hope during this time, because they know they're not free, even though they were free, and so the Messiah will once again deliver us. So there's high messianic hope going on here. So it's against that backdrop. That's a lot of backdrop, but we need to know it so that this kind of makes more sense to us. So it's against that backdrop of the Feast of Lights, or dedication, and also the backdrop of the the Jewish leaders knowing that Jesus is thinking of himself as the true shepherd, the good shepherd, that we now get what we're going to look at this morning. It's in John chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 22, go through verse 39. Outline is divided into two points. Number one... A loaded request. When I, and you'll know what I mean by loaded once we read it. Uh, once we read what's happening. And then, a logical response. And that, I mean that on two levels. It's the, the Jewish leaders thinking they have a logical response to what Jesus is going to say. But it's also Jesus' logical response to them. So, that's a lot of stuff. That's all by way, and we're out of time. So, my apologies. Uh, that's just the way it works. So let's uh, look first at verses 22 through 30, or yeah, through 30. And this is you'll you'll hear the loaded request coming through.
1: Then came the festival of dedication, that is Hanukkah, at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered around him, saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one.
0: Well, they asked, tell us plainly, and they got more than they bargained for. Uh, that's not what they were thinking, obviously. Uh, and in this, you hear these great promises, too, to us who are called as his sheep. There's, there's so much here. Uh, we can only, you know, kind of do justice to, you know, some of it, you know, skimming it kind of thing, but there's so, so much here. Uh, John sets the stage for us, and he tells us it it's winter. In okay, case his readers uh, wouldn't know necessarily when this was written, uh, when all this was taking place. So it's winter. That's how we know in the Feast of Dedication, we know that's when it's going on. And I've told you all about that. And we tell, he tells us he's actually in the temple precinct at uh, Solomon's Colonnade. Which is on the east side of the temple mount. Uh, and it was just like a, a typical Greek stoa or place where, you know, there are columns and you stay out of the weather. And this is also where a lot of the rabbis would hold school. This is where the early church held church. We'd talk and witness and preach, uh, and Jesus is there. So he's out of the weather, he's under this colonnade, and these Jewish leaders gather around him, kind of hem him in, thinking of it as that way. And here's this uh, loaded request, and it's loaded because of their expectations. They, they have certain expectations of who the Messiah ought to be, and no matter how he answers, it's going to give them the wrong impression. So he answers, but in a way that really gives them more than they bargained for. So they, say, so they ask, okay, so how long are you going to keep us in suspense? And that's an idiom, actually. Uh, hey, welcome. It's an idiom. Uh, it says, how long are you going to hold up our souls? And I know that it's an, it's an idiom of anticipation. Uh, so we just translate it so we don't get lost. How long are you going to keep us in suspense? Tell us plainly. Are you the Messiah? Are you the one we are to expect? Are you the king? The anointed one? All right. Very plain. So he answers them, "I told you and you don't believe." Now, to be fair, especially in John's gospel, There's only two times he's outrightly said this. One, to the woman at the well in Samaria, and two, to the man he healed that we looked at last week. But we were told that there were some Pharisees around listening, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't have asked, are we blind too? Are you telling us we're blind? But what he's implying is, stop, why don't you just look at what I'm doing? So basically he's saying, the whole body of work up until now should plainly tell you who I am. He says, my, the works I've done in my Father's name, these bear witness of me. But you don't believe because you're not my sheep. Harken back to the end of the lesson last week where he says, you are blind. And then talking about how his sheep hear his voice in, in the subsequent parable of the good shepherd. He says, but you aren't my sheep. Yow. So the implication is, and they're going to hear it, if you just look at what I'm doing in the name of the Father, just look at my works, you'll come to your answer, but you're not going to come to the answer, because you don't want to come to the answer, because you're not my sheep. This, of course, harkens to our understanding of God's choosing, God's electing, whether we like it or not. Here it is. Some are not his sheep. He says, but my sheep hear my voice. I know them. Look at verse 14 above. I'm the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. He says, they know me. But here he's saying, I know them. This, this kind of thinks, think back to Matthew, the end of the Sermon on the Mount where he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name and that in your name? And he, I will say to them and on that day, depart from me. You never knew me? Is that what he says? He says, I never knew you. He says, I know them. They follow me. And listen to this promise. I give them this new life, the life of the age, the eternal life, the life of the new kingdom. They're never going to perish. There's no end to this. Death will not be the end. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Security as well. What a great threefold promise. And that's to all of us who are called his sheep. Yes, sir?
1: As, a, as an aside, it's interesting that live sheep are only get for two things they make wool and they recognize their shepherd's form. Yeah. They're not good for anything else. They can't see, they can't run, they fall on their back, they can't get up, if they get too much wool. They can't
0: move. So dependence. <coughs> Complete dependence, yes. And if we'd, have, if we'd have looked at the rest of chapter 10, we, we would have brought a lot of that out. That's good. Thank you for doing that. Um, and then we come to him really driving this home. He says, no one can snatch them out of my hand, and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. What, in other words, no one snatches them out of my hand. I secure them. The Father secures them. In this action, we are one. But He's also implying here a, a unity. That, that, that particle He uses are, are one. It's a neuter particle. He's not. He's. It's not. It's. It's just we're of one thing. One. We're just one. And this, of course, leads to that whole, you know, persons versus essence argument in the early church, but what we have here is him saying, remember, just look at what I'm doing in the name of the Father. My sheep are secure with me. My sheep are secure with the Father, because I and the Father are one. Um, Loaded question and a very, like I said, they get more than they bargained for in that response. Also, did you hear, what those of you who have who you know, studied any amount of Scripture know the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Well, these religious leaders, of course, would, would know that as well. And this, this sounds really close to that. Wait a minute, the, the, the Lord is one. and You and the... You two? Are, so... You, you can hear probably, you can just feel it perking and boiling. And that, of course, leads to a response from them and then a response from Jesus, both of which I put for logical. They, being who they are, steeped in their scriptures, hearing this man say these things with their understanding of who the Messiah should be, and this guy claiming way more than that, well, you can imagine what they want to do. And Jesus, in his rebuff, uses their own logic of Scripture to rebuff them and then ramp it up a notch, even more so, as he does. So with that, let's now look at point number two, this logical response, verses 31 through 39. We may have to have someone else read. Jay is not here. You know, I, I don't know what we're going to do. You're going to read? Okay, here we go.
2: Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are God's? If he called them God to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said, I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do what my father does. But even if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp.
0: All right, so we've seen this pattern before of Jesus saying the wrong thing. It's happened, we've already seen it a couple of times in John. We've, just think back through with the, the religious leaders wanting to seize him, wanting to arrest him, wanting to kill him wanting to do all they can because they think he is a danger and he is a blasphemer because of their perception of who the Messiah should be versus what he is doing and claiming. Well, with that, having just said that he and the Father are one, they take up stones again to stone him. Now, remember, John says they're in the colonnade of Solomon. There's not just rocks laying around, okay? In other words, we we have a tendency to to look back in time, and because people film things on location, everything is run down, right? But this would have been pristine and beautiful. They're not just stones laying around. And in fact, the the Greek word here, instead of took up, is they carried. The, The implication is they left to go get stones. To stone him, And there was still construction going on uh, with this, this Herod still rebuilding of the temple, or refurbishing of the temple, so probably close by. Uh, the, but they want to kill him. They think that by their law, a blasphemer should be killed. But Jesus, of course, as part of his argument, starts first with, but I just told you to look at my works. Remember, he just said that which look at the works that I'm doing in the father's name. So he starts there. First part of his argument he says, "I showed you many good works, great miracles, beautiful works from the father," which is what he told them to look at. So, for which of them are you stoning me? So he's taking that tack. So, which which of these things that I've done are you going to kill me for? To which they reply, Well, it's not for the good works, which they admit. Okay, notice that. They admit this. Whereas before, they're trying to say, no, it's Beelzebub working through my life. Well, no, because as you look, if you look in verse 21, others were saying, these aren't the sayings of a demon-possessed man. A demon can't open the eyes of the blind. So there's already division in the ranks, so they they, well, okay, you did good works. Oops. But he goes further. I mean, they go so but then they say it's but it's the blasphemy. You being a man making yourself out to be God. And for anyone else, it would be. Right. And it's not that Jesus is ignorant of that. Um So he now, that's their quite logical response. You blasphemed, you die. Um, And now he is going to to use their interpretive scheme of how they see Scripture and all that against them. He's going to use their own logic, really, against them. And so he starts by citing Scripture. He cites Psalm uh, 82, Psalm 82, verse 6. Has it not been written in your law? In other words, and it's not that Jesus doesn't think that the Old Testament's not something that pertains to him, but it's more of, look, you're using your law all the time against me. Well, isn't it written in your, your law? You, know, you can hear kind of what he's doing. That, and here this is, this is odd, I said, you are gods. Now, if you look, let's go ahead and look at Psalm 82. You're going to go left in your Bibles. or scroll somewhere else, I don't know. This is actually a psalm of rebuke to the judges, to Israel's judges. They're called to, to provide you know, God's judgment, God's solemn judgment of protection for the poor and the weak and the downtrodden, and instead the judges are not doing that, and this is a rebuke. So they've been commissioned, called by God, to do God's work, but they're not doing it. In verse 4, he says, rescue the weak and needy, deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. Verse 5, but they do not, nor do they, they don't know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. That kind of sounds like the Pharisees in many ways. But, he says, and I said, you are gods and all of the sons of the most high, meaning because they've been called, because of their position, what they're to do. He's you're, you're gods in, in many respects. But you're going to die like men and fall like any one of the princes. So there's the, the psalm. And Jesus brings up, and in Exodus 2, we're told that people who are exercising judgment, the Hebrew term used is Elohim, gods. So he's, he's basically saying, look, your own scripture, our scriptures have, and by the way, These scriptures still hold, can't be broken, he says. Remember, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, not the least jot or tittle will pass away till all is fulfilled. Those are little Hebrew letters, right? Jot and tittle from King James, the English anyway. But the least little stroke of the pen will not pass away till all is fulfilled. Here, the high view of scripture. This still holds. He says, in your own scripture, talking about these guys, He sanctified them, and he set them aside for a purpose. Um, He put them aside, and they they just called them gods. So why do you say to me, one whom the Father has set aside, sanctified, and sent? If it can be said of these guys, why then, if I am doing the works of the Father, am sent by the Father, why are you so upset? that I'm calling myself the Son of God. In other words, he's arguing from the lesser to the greater, and it's not like Jesus is obtuse. He knows why they're upset. What he's doing, however, is showing them that on this basis, they can't accuse him of blasphemy. So then he wraps it up by saying, now look, if I don't do the works of my Father, then don't believe we're all getting hung up on these names. We're getting hung up on titles. Just look at what I'm doing. Look at what is happening. Open your eyes. And of course, they're going to say, well, just tell us plainly. They're not ready. He's saying, I've told you. Look. If, if what I'm doing is not of the Father, well, then don't believe. I, I would not want you to. Don't. But if I do them. Even though you don't believe my words, believe the works. Look around you. Um, kind of a paraphrase is, if, you, if, if I don't do the things my Father does, then, then don't believe me. But if I'm doing them, you believe, then believe what's right in front of your eyes. Then, perhaps things will come together for you. You'll see that not only... It was I doing the same, were we doing the same things? We are the same thing. Father and Son. He is in me. I am him. Look at my works. And of course, this works, and they all fall down and worship him. No. They're not of his sheep. They are spiritually blinded. But what we have here in this little this this, this little episode is very clear to those who will hear, very clear declaration of his messiahship and his sonship. Very clear. Whereas they say, tell us plainly. Well, he does. This is so plain. So he does tell them plainly. And then they accuse him of blasphemy. And here's another irony. When in actuality... They are blaspheming. This is the the feast of the dedication of the temple. Jesus has already, through his actions and through his teaching, declared, and we see that he is the new temple. And by by what they're doing, trying to shut him up, kick, kick him out, kill him, what they think he's doing, they're doing they're actually blaspheming. It's kind of a complete turn by the end of it. Well, we, of course, now what, so what's going to happen now is we, as we just read, well, they tried to arrest him, seize him. They tried to get him again, but uh, he eluded their grasp. <coughs> All through John, we're told, because it was not his time. In other words, God is directing these events. So, There's no premature arrest to seize him, but there's no going back either. He's going to to now retreat from Jerusalem and finish his ministry before he goes back that one last time. Because now there is no turning back. We've reached that point now where all of the religious leaders, all the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, they are now out to get him. Because they're blind. They're not his sheep. You know, sometimes we can do all we can to uh, declare the Messiahship of Jesus and the love of Christ to people. And we're wondering, why will they not hear? Why do they not see? Why do they not understand? Here we go. Not everyone is called to be one of his sheep. And that's an uncomfortable situation doctrine but it's nonetheless scriptural and the sheep hear his voice he knows them and they follow him and what does he give in return new life will never perish and security that despite all that's going on in life will never go away because we are in his hand and in the father's hand, and he and the father are one that is way better than a Super Bowl. <laughs> and that should, that should float our boat a little bit. You know what's also better than the Super Bowl? It's our 34th anniversary. Oh Yay, yes. She for: combat. <laughs> Yes. Not that I'm not going to watch the Super Bowl. (laughs)
1: All
0: right, we're going to get kicked out in a minute. So any questions? Yes, sir. Oh, no, you're doing the thumbs up. up. All right, let's pray. Father, protect us from uh, arrogance. Help us to be humble before your word. To hear these words and uh, for them to make sense to us and for us to be uh, enlivened by them uh, is one of your gifts to us, that you have given us the gift of faith to hear these words and and be stoked. Our prayer, uh, as always, is that uh, we go now as your sheep into this world and we declare the good news and we live as you've called us to live because... As Jesus says, we, we hear, hear his voice and uh, we obey. We do those things. We know we're not perfect. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We're going to go after false shepherds occasionally, and we're going to allow ourselves to be mangled by wolves quite a bit, but we take um, comfort in knowing that uh, we're in your hand. We're in your hand. We're in your son's hand. You and the, fa- you and the son, the son and the father are one thank you as well that we have the third, your Holy Spirit, to guide us and to remind us of these things. So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we thank you. Amen. That's it. Goodbye, podcast people.